0: Welcome to Gutsy Matters Podcast, brought to you by StoredNaturally.com. I'm Wendy Allen. And I'm Helen Reynolds. Gutsy Matters Podcast is for independent thinkers who aren't afraid to stand out from the crowd. Our conversations are with people who, like us, are
1: willing to create something they believe in, something that helps us all to live more sustainably, more consciously and with greater connection.
0: We're delighted you're joining us to discover, uncover and create opportunities and perspectives about health, wealth and sustainable living. Today, we are really excited to speak about one of our passions at Stored Naturally, and that is about reducing household food waste. We are really pleased to welcome our guest, Mark Barthol, who joined the Fight Food Waste CRC team as a special advisor in August 2019, having moved from the UK to Australia. In addition to his CRC role, where he is leading the development of a food waste reduction roadmap with Woolworths, he is supporting Food Innovation Australia Limited and the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment in the implementation of Australia's National Food Waste Strategy. Mark has been directly involved in developing the International Evidence Base for Food Loss and Waste over with over 15 years' experience of quantifying and preventing food loss and waste in the UK, Europe North and South America, Africa and Australia. He has also helped establish world-leading voluntary agreements between the public and private sector to reduce food waste and food insecurity and drive product and packaging innovation and has run award-winning behaviour change change campaigns like Love Food, Hate Waste, which is being used in a growing number of countries, states and cities, including four Australian states. So we're really pleased to welcome Mark. Hi, Mark. How are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you, Wendy.
1: So, Mark, let's get started with sort of scoping out the problem. We all know it. We've all at least done it once. But would you tell us a little bit um, about how big the household food waste problem really is?
2: Yeah, sure. Probably worth putting into context as well, Wendy. Um, So we know from the, the National Food Waste Baseline that was published back in March 2019, that in Australia uh, we waste about 7.3 million tonnes of food every year and that 7.3 million tonnes comes with a price tag attached which is somewhere in the order of 20 to 25 billion Australian dollars a year. Um, Within uh, consideration of that as well uh, when we look at the environmental impact uh, of all that food waste we believe now that it's probably directly responsible for around 20 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent greenhouse gas emissions. So this is not an insignificant environmental issue. Um, and if I put that cost of food waste in the context of Australian households, then it's costing the average household probably around $3,000 a year, which is probably a pretty good holiday.
1: Yeah, Absolutely.
2: Uh, The other thing I want to say really was that Australia's food waste profile is is pretty unusual for an OECD country. In most other countries that I've worked in, uh, the vast majority of food waste comes in around the wholesale, retail, restaurant and household space. So, for example, in the UK, uh, where I've just come from, somewhere in the order of 65 to 70 percent of food that's wasted in in the UK is in, in that stage in the value chain. Whereas here in Australia, uh, we see 31%, so nearly a third of food food waste or losted lost in um, primary production. Really. It's nearly a quarter. Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of food waste in primary production here. And uh, it's, it, it, it's quite unusual, again, for a, a developed world country to be kind of exhibiting um, that sort of waste. So it's it's responsible for 2.27 million tonnes of food that is actually not even harvested. It's generally ploughed back into the paddock. Wow. So can, you, can you give th- us
1: some examples? So I, th- that's amazing.
2: So I think um, there's some, uh, there are some causes to waste food waste or loss in primary production that will resonate uh, across a number of countries. So there are the obvious, um, the obvious external factors. So things like climate-related incidents. So whether you have uh, a drought or a flood, or maybe increasingly a bushfire. Um, And that has an impact on the quality and the yield of the food. And then maybe that that food in the paddock doesn't kind of stack up in terms of the quality standards that would be applied by the customers that a farmer or grower would be um, supplying to. Uh, and that kind of brings me on to the the next one which is um a lot of farmers are growing to try and achieve that kind of perfect bell curve of good quality produce that will meet the requirements of customers whether they sit in retail or in the restaurant chains or in hotels and so on and in order to make sure they can hit all the volumes Obviously there'll be there'll be occasions where the food that they grow, the produce they grow, will sit outside of that bell curve. It might be too small, too big, slightly wonky. Um, and it's not really economically worth the farmer than harvesting that food. Um, so what we find then is we're we're kind of systemically overproducing to try and hit those sort of quality benchmarks.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely perfect because we've just released an episode with about the apple product, which was developed by the Savio family. Uh, they've got an apple orchard at Stanthorpe uh, on the Granite Belt, and uh, to use the apples that they were too large or too small for their large supermarket contracts, they've turned into a wonderful, wonderful um, convenience product. It's it's an apple, a smooth apple drink. Uh, But that's a perfect example of what you're talking about because where else were those apples going to go and they're first-grade hand-picked apples that don't fit the contract specifications?
2: Yeah, it's a a big challenge everywhere. Um, And it it sort of worries me as someone who's been working in in agri-food systems for most of his adult life uh, that we seem to have forgotten that what's really important about food is how it tastes and the nutrition it provides Mm -hmm. and not necessarily how it looks. Absolutely. Um, So these cosmetic quality standards can be quite problematic if they are not balanced with the need to improve the utilisation of the crop. So I I was kind of giving you an idea then. So, yeah, 31% uh, of food waste is in primary production, 24% in manufacturing. Uh, Most of that is actually um, around um, batch processing waste and out of spec ingredients and things like that um so it is uh pretty important that uh when waste occurs in manufacturing there are cost-effective ways of uh reducing that waste and you know few things like reworking on the production line and then in where we we look at wholesale and retail and um wholesale retail hospitality and food service and institutions um they're quite low volumes of waste circa kind of you know three or four percent of the national food waste problem Uh, but it's worth pointing out as i probably have really kind of um, indirectly that uh, food um, food specifications have a big role to play in how much food is wasted Mm. in the upstream chain Um, so it's really important that um the influence that these big food companies have over the rest of the supply chain is applied responsibly and then finally when we get to households and we're looking at quite a big chunk of the waste there 34 percent of food waste and there are some real challenges there because that equates to about two and a half million tons of food in australian homes every year Um, and 92 percent of that food currently goes straight to landfill are generating uh, over seven and a half million tons of uh, CO2 emissions uh, within, um, within landfill. So it's really important that we make consumers more aware of food waste as an issue, uh, both for their budgets and for the environment, um, and that we work with them to introduce them to more positive food purchasing and food management behaviors. Mm.
0: That's a huge percentage, isn't it? 34 it's percent?:
2: It's a whopper, but as I say, it's, um, it's not as big as other countries, other developed countries, but it's still yeah, it's still massive, and uh, you know we are you know the Australian government has set a target to halve national food waste here within the next 10 years, so to 2030, and without some fairly significant shifts in behavior, it's going to be very, very hard to hit that target.
0: So, why do you think food, household food waste, is such a problem?
2: I think anything that you put down to uh, education, behaviour, and awareness is always challenging because you know you, you and I understand you know the diversity of individual households. You can have a single occupancy household, or you can have a large family in a household. You can have varying age groups, varying levels of skill around food as well. Um, so, you know, when I was young. I was taught home economics from about the age of eight, and by the age of twelve, I was doing the Sunday roast for my mum. Wow! Um, you know, and and a lot of my generation at that time were doing a very similar thing, and I think we have lost that contact with food in the home. A lot of you know a lot of people, and it's it's probably one of the few upsides of COVID that we see families coming together over the last six months and actually cooking together, sometimes for the first time. Yeah, yeah. And really kind of reaching out and looking for inspiration and you know, people haven't been wanting to go out and shop as frequently. So they've been they've been much more cautious and careful about how they manage the food they have in the home already.
1: And I think that, um, you know, learning how to cook and learning how to handle food is a is a big thing. I went to boarding school and then to college. I didn't learn how to handle food until I was in my twenties. You know, I just didn't have that time at home in the kitchen with my family.
2: Yeah it is. I mean it's, it's a, it's a, it is as I say one of the few upsides I think of COVID that uh, with so many people being at home with homeschooling, home working, university students not being able to get onto campus either, uh, it's meant that a lot of us have had to cook from scratch a lot more frequently than we'd normally do do and, and that has improved our skills, it's improved our knowledge around food. We've been paying more attention to expiry dates on food and storage advice on food packaging. Uh, and that's really helped. And we've also been a lot more prepared to explore and experiment. You now, I looked at um, some of the research coming out of the big uh, consumer research agencies like Cantar and Mintel recently. And Mintel was highlighting the fact that there's been a 71% increase in people looking at uh, cooking and recipe websites uh, since March this year.
0: Wow, and I think sometimes whether you watch them or not, but the food television food shows perhaps have inspired people a little bit more to look at what they're eating and how they do it, and whether they cook it at home or be in, at least be a bit more inspired to to look at what they're eating.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. But you could also argue that their specifications are too, or there's um. It's a bit like the specifications for fruit and vegetables going into the major supermarkets. You know, those cooking shows set a standard that I certainly will never reach.
2: (laughs) Well, yes. Yeah, yeah, there is that. But, um, you know, they're professionals. And um, even if we can only ever aspire for that level of quality and innovation in cooking, at least it gives us something to aim for. Yes. Uh, You know, we know what good looks like and uh, it also gives us inspiration because it gives us a wider like, portfolio or palette from which to cook from you know when we look at new cuisines and we look at look at entirely different ways of combining ingredients than maybe we've done before then i think we have a much better chance of actually understanding how to combine the food ingredients in our home to create a healthy and nutritious meal
1: Speaking of that, and considering your last point about diversity, does Australia, uh, how does Australia compare in terms of our diverse culture and multicultural nature? Um, does that impact on our food system?
2: It, it, it will do, and there's a lot of research internationally around the composition of households and the importance of food culture. Um, so it's, it's absolutely no surprise for me, for example, that in Europe, the Italians have the lowest food waste uh, levels in the whole of Europe, and that's because they were brought up with it. You know, they are they, at a very young age in, in Italy. You're cooking with your mum or your grandma. Uh, you're you're around the kitchen all the time. You know, a meal is a social occasion for the, typically also for more extended family. It's not unusual to see, you know, three or four trestle tables pulled together in a backyard in Italy, and there's 25 people around the table. You've got cousins, you've got grandmas, you've got uncles and aunts, and it's just part of that culture. So culture is really important, um, and it's it's also the kind of culture we've inherited from our, you know, from our, from the countries we come from. Um, so you know, those countries that have never really experienced uh, to any great degree convenience foods or pre-prepared foods and are much more um, therefore much more able to to cook and prepare food in a way that reduces food waste uh, uh, you know it's, it's no surprise that there will be some variability across different food cultures.
0: So one of the CRC projects is called Designing Effective Innovations to Reduce Household Food Waste can you tell us a bit more about what that project is doing and how that um, affects all the things that we've just been talking about?
2: Yeah, so um, geez, back in uh, 2005, I think it was, um, when I was working for the Waste and Resources Action Programme in the UK, so they really, that was the first organisation worldwide to actively look at food waste as an issue. And we started to look at consumer behaviour and trying to understand the values people had, the attitudes around food and food waste, and and the behaviours that could lead to food being wasted in the home. And I guess it took us about three years to get a really clear view on what were the key kind of variables that we needed to look for, where were the behaviours that were either likely to drive food waste or reduce it. And this project with the Fight Food Waste CLC's Engage program is all about that. And um, so it's a very large program. It involves most of the state governments, Harvest, Food Bank, and a number of others uh, to, to really get under the skin of what is going on in Australian homes. So it's, it's a nationally representative survey. It's uh, 5,272 households we've looked at. And it's a project in stages. So what we've done. Uh, so far has gone in and we've done these these huge surveys with with a very large number of households in Australia and we're trying to get under the skin of these attitudes behaviors and values around food um, and you know so things like what is it that um, what is it that people are doing or not doing um, so are they checking what food is already in the house and actually we find from the survey work that almost three quarters of them are actually checking. If you feel like their individual domestic food inventories, they're looking in the pantry, they're looking in the fridge in the freezer and so on, and really have a reasonable sense of what they already have. And that is fantastic because then if they're also planning the meals that they want to eat over the next week, all they've got to do is fill the gaps when they go shopping, rather than you know, there being any temptation to buy too much or to buy the wrong amount, or even to miss some key ingredients. this is kind of a a really useful study because we're trying to get under the skin of all of these things you know so what is it people are doing in terms of planning behaviors uh before they go shopping uh are they making a list if they're making a shopping list are they sticking to it um when they get home uh, what are they doing with the food they've just bought are they storing it properly is it in the right place in the fridge by putting it in the freezer for another time do they actually understand what food products are suitable for home for freezing and which aren't and how to defrost them and then cook them safely and so we, we're trying to get really close to that sort of behavior uh, and really understand that and, and that is that is a kind of the foundation for the rest of the project um so we've got a lot of information around what people do and don't do we've got a pretty good appreciation of what foods they're wasting so to give you a couple of examples uh, Almost a half of Australian households, uh, when we did the survey work, had thrown away vegetables and herbs uh, in the week in which we did the survey work. Uh, 46% of them, so again, nearly a half, uh, threw out uh, bread and bakery items. And a third uh, disposed of some sort of fresh fruit. And quite surprisingly, and this this really did surprise me, about a quarter of them, 26%, throughout meat and seafood during that time period. Now, you know, that's pretty expensive food to be throwing out. Uh, to, so to see a quarter of Australian households doing that, um, you can kind of start to stack it up and see why uh, the average household is probably wasting about $3,000 a year on food that they bought, but then did not consume. Um, so that's the kind of first stage. And, but it's just about stated behavior. So really what we're about doing next is actually understanding what the actual behaviours are. And the only real way we can do that, there's a couple of things we're going to be doing. Uh, We're going to be running a a slightly more targeted online survey uh, with those households because the original study has given us an idea of what we want to focus on in terms of behaviours and some of the food groups that we see are being wasted, uh, perhaps more than others. Uh, we want, uh, we're, going to get, we're going to be working with a number of households to maintain a kitchen diary. And we hope that that kitchen diary, as it has done in other countries, gives us a much better sense of the root cause of why food is being thrown away. And if it's being thrown away, where is it being thrown away? Is it being fed to pets? Is it going in the compost bin? Is it going in the landfill bin? These are all things that help us to get inside the minds of, of consumers and help them to waste less food over time. And then finally, and and having done this myself, it's not a particularly pleasant exercise. We do bin audits. Mm-hmm. So we we with the householders' permission, we empty the bins. We look at what food has been wasted in what volume, whether it was in packaging or outside of packaging. We find sometimes even in well, certainly in other countries, we found food is actually thrown away as a whole portion in a pack and it's still in date. Mm-hmm. So understanding the composition and the, the way in which food is thrown away helps us to, uh, if you like, understand the differences between the stated behaviour, so those things that Australian households think are causing them to waste food versus the actuality of what food they're throwing away. And that's really important because like most behaviour change issues, there is nearly always an intention-action gap. And we need to understand how broad that is in order to understand how much education and awareness raising and behaviour change we need to do.
0: So when you talked about a, a kitchen diary, I think is what you said about a, and looking at how much is thrown away, is that something that everyone can do even if they're not involved in, in this project of, of just to, to, I guess, get every household understanding a little bit more about what they do and, and what, do, what would people record in a kitchen diary? Is- um, you stated before.
2: So um, the kitchen diary is actually it's online, so I can check to see whether we could make it available outside of the survey work, because it might actually be quite a useful tool, as you say. I've, I've also got the um, the PDF of the uh, the kitchen diary that we used in the UK, so I can share that with you just so you can have a look at what it what it looks like. But really, what we're trying to understand is. Um, Of all the food groups that you are consuming at each meal, uh, how much are you wasting of those food groups and why? Um, so we're we're trying to we're trying to understand is it is it a problem with, for example, preparing too much food? Is it a problem with cooking too much food or serving too much food? Um because all of those behaviors have different potential interventions. Um so for example, if you're preparing too much food then would a portion calculator in fact if you're preparing or cooking too much food with a portion calculator uh online portion calculator help you with that or is it that you can actually only buy those ingredients in a size that may not be appropriate to your household so if you're a single occupancy household so if I, i'll give you a really kind of classic practical example uh, and this again is from some of the work i've done in other countries so If you can only find a pack of say middle back bacon in a supermarket and you have 12 rushes in that pack and the instruction on the pack says use within three days of opening and you're the only one in the household or you're the only one buying food within the household so you've got a shared household. um, It's very difficult to consume that 12 rushes of bacon within the stated life of the product without wasting it. Unless of course you freeze it um so there's something here which is around understanding whether those different segments of the population that or within the customer base of a given supermarket are actually being serviced appropriately in terms of the range of portion sizes or pack sizes that are available to them from a given supermarket and this is also you know this is one of the other reasons why we're doing this work because we need to understand whether that is or isn't the case and if it isn't the case and we have segments of the population that are not being serviced by the current range of sizes in, in food products. And we need to work with the with the retailers to do something about that. So it's a more appropriate portion of that size.
0: And, and then it's also about understanding that they can freeze it. And also, Absolutely. if you do freeze it, you know, some people don't know that you can't just keep refreezing things after it's thawed out. So it's all that education process, as you alluded to earlier.
2: Yeah, I mean, I had, a, I had a wonderful couple of years where I worked with the um, National Federation of Women's Institutes, the WRI, so the equivalent of the Country Women's Association in Australia. I've got to say, I learned so much about home economics from working with those women. They were absolutely amazing. I would ask really dumb questions at the start, like, can I freeze an egg? <laughs> and I was really surprised to discover actually, if I split the egg white from the egg yolk and froze them separately, I could do that. But obviously, if I go to freeze a whole egg, it will just shatter <laughs> because the you know the white and the yolk will expand inside the shell and it will just make a horrible mess in the freezer. Um, and you know all the different ways in which you can uh, prepare vegetables, so parboiling, cutting, to freeze ready to freeze them for use on another day. So if you do. If you've gone out and you bought a punnet of tomatoes or some broccoli or something like that and you've just got too much of it and you know straight away that you can't uh you're not going to be able to consume it all then being able to understand that parboiling or just cutting and preparing for another day is a really useful piece of knowledge to have yeah i mean the other thing around freezing which uh very often happens is that um You've got to use the right container to start whether it's a solid or a liquid food um so if you if you're you're about to put something in the freezer that's still quite hot uh, try and find one of those tupperware containers where you've got a little flip like a circle on the top that you can flip up and you can push down on the on the lid of the pack and expel a lot of the steam and then close it up and seal it before you freeze it um because it, it's Basically, a better way to freeze the food, and it causes a lot less mess in the container when you actually empty the the frozen food out of it, or if you microwave it straight away out of the freezer, it also uses um, leads to a lot less mess. And the other thing that's obviously critically important is when you're putting something in the freezer, label it properly. So say that it's you know last uh, today is chili con carne, and it's it's got enough wood in it to serve two people, and put a date on it as well, so you can you can actually actively manage the frozen food in your fridge and labeling is really important I, I always remember someone saying to me that uh, they didn't want to see any ufos in their freezer and i said what do you mean it's an unidentified frozen object
1: <laughs> i'm definitely guilty of that
2: <laughs> and i just thought that was just a brilliant way of, of describing that you know that sometimes that inherent laziness that we have where we just want to get the clearing up done and, Stuff something in the freezer, but it's really important to label things properly before you put them in the freezer.
0: And sometimes you do freeze it and you think, yes, it, it's obvious what it is, so you don't need to label it. But then when it freezes and it's all frosty, you actually don't sort of notice what it is then, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, even even I, even I recently have defrosted a spaghetti bolognese thinking it was a chilli. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, well, you yeah, know, we all do that from time to time. But, yeah, that kind of labelling is really important.
1: Have you noticed um, there's a lot of people around us in our sort of personal nearby community that do batch cooking, you know, cook up two or three dishes uh, for the household for the week. Is that becoming more of a thing with more people or is it just so happened that they happen to be
2: around us? Yeah, they certainly noticed that it's, it's, it's become more common. Um, and again, a lot of it seems to be COVID related where people are cooking Uh, more food than they need in their own home either because they're batch cooking and they want you know they want a quick and easy meal the following week uh, or because they're cooking for friends and neighbours or people in lockdown Um, so that is just a great way of doing it and when you think about it it doesn't actually take that much longer to prepare the ingredients and cook the ingredients for three or four meals than it does one
1: I couldn't agree more
2: and to be able to kind of reach into the freezer and go, hey, that, I remember that Chile. That was really fantastic. Um, I really fancy that tonight. And To pull it out and to be able to prepare it in a matter of minutes rather than maybe you know, forty-five minutes or an hour—that—that mm. um, is—it's just great to be able to do that. It's something satisfying about it.
1: Yeah, I definitely like it when I get that organised and um, be able to maintain that. It makes life really easy. And as you say, it ta- it takes. Only a tiny bit more time to cook the bigger batch, as it does the smaller batch.
2: Yeah, and uh, it's just—it's all about then. It's all about portion control and and portion sizing when you when you're storing in a container. So, obviously, you're in a if you're in a single occupancy household, everything is one portion. Um, Or if you're in a household with mixed meat eaters and vegetarians, then you've got to you know got to think a bit harder about how you're uh, how you're storing your food. And in what portion sizes you're storing it. So there's yeah, there's so many things you can do there, but I don't know I'm a, I'm a big fan. It just saves so much time.
0: Absolutely. And I guess all these things that we're talking about or just been talking about are things that we know. So how do we start changing people's attitude and behaviour around their household food management and food waste, particularly those people who aren't aware of those techniques?
2: I think awareness is, is a huge And there are so many really useful resources as well, which when people find, they will reuse. So, I know one of the the resources I often point uh, our friends at is uh, on the the Love Food Hate Waste campaign. I know you mentioned that in the introduction. So, they have uh, a fantastic A to Z of food storage best practice, and you can go onto the Love Food Hate Waste website. If you go A to Z of food storage, or put it into Google. Uh, it will come up and it will tell you exactly how to store the food properly. And it is just so easy to do. It's all completely searchable in the A to Z, and it's really clear, not just about how you should store it, but how you should freeze it and defrost it safely as well. So all of that sort of information is there. On the planning, I uh, we discovered as a family a wonderful app, probably about four or five years ago, called the Bring. So it's it's the word bring with an exclamation mark behind it. And it's a very simple app because all it is is like a digital shopping list that you have on your phone or your mobile device. Um, But it allows you to share lists with all the rest of the household so that you can see, you know, as you run out of a food item, you can add it to the list. And it doesn't matter who's done the cooking that night. As soon as they see it, they can add it to the list. And you can then open up the app on your phone or your mobile device as you're shopping and it's got little tiles within it which describe the food you're about to buy and, the, and you can even add the volume of it or whether you want it to be organic or something like that and as you go around the shopping line you're putting stuff into your shopping basket or into your shopping trolley you just touch that tile and it disappears so you know straight away what you've got left to shop for and what you already bought so it also stops you from duplicate purchasing as well. And it's just a very simple app. I think most, most households could use that. Yeah, it sounds a brilliant app. Oh, it's, it's just wonderful. I, I, we just use it all the time now, not just for food, but for other shopping things like DIY and stuff like that. And um, I mean, in terms of um, you know, the food preparation behaviors and that, I think there are, there are a number of resources around. I mean, the, the one thing that stands out for me actually in that household intervention survey there's a lot of really good behaviours already in um, Australian households, but there's still a situation where almost half of the so 44% of Australian households, prepare extra food when they're cooking for a meal, quote-unquote, just in case. <laughs>
1: um,
2: so this is, in food psychology, what is described as good mother syndrome. It's sexist, but hey, I'll go with it. Um, but it, it is don't want to feel like there's not enough food on the table uh and i know something that we we often ask before we cook a meal at home now is how hungry are you It's a very simple question to ask but it does really help you to actually understand just how much you should be cooking so there are there are kind of portion control calculators and things like that you know which allow you to say i've got two two adults and two children under 10 in the household, and I want to cook a curry. And it will give you the kind of, you know, the range of ingredients and the volume of each ingredient that you'll need. But even that doesn't stop you from overcooking if you haven't done a simple thing like ask the family how hungry they are before you cook. But just really simple planning.
1: Introducing that practice into our household certainly made a difference. And, you know, simple things affect it. Like if you end up working through lunch and then having a late lunch, if you cook the same size dinner without asking that question, invariably some gets wasted. So uh, it's a really good practice. It worked in our house too.
0: So what great tips. And we will put um, the A to Z food storage best practice information and the Bring app um, information in our show notes for this podcast episode, so people can access those as well, and perhaps um, even the kitchen diary if, if that's possible as well. Too Mark?
2: Yeah, I'll send you that through. Um, I can I can send you through the the wrap one straight away because I have my laptop. Um, so yeah, maybe we should also say something about how motivated people are to reduce their food waste. Um, when they become aware that they're wasting food I mean, this is the the classic trigger point uh again in most countries uh you start from very low levels of awareness and this is kind of indirectly answering your question as well um, and pe- because people aren't aware um you know i remember when we did the work in the uk and we had quite a large proportion of the population saying they they wasted nothing or hardly any, anything at all and that was in the, the kind of quantified survey work we did with them on their stated behaviors. And then, of course, we did the bin analysis and discovered that those households that said they wasted nothing or hardly anything at all were wasting 90 kilos of food a year, so more than their own body weight in food. Um, but when they realized that, and particularly when they realized how much money it was costing them, they were very motivated to reduce the amount of food and they were actively searching for solutions and tips and hints and so on. And that was one of the reasons why we put together the Love, Food, Hate, Waste campaign originally in the UK because we had to acknowledge that once people became aware they wanted to do something about it, that they needed help. So Whether it was the A to Z of food storage or whether it was really good leftover recipes or whether it was a searchable database that you could put all the ingredients you had in your fridge into and it would spit out you know four five six or more uh, recipes for you to try so all of those things are kind of really important in australia it's, it's kind of interesting because um what we see here is that more than half of the population is uh really interested in saving money yes. um and about 16% of us do it because we think it's the right thing to do for the environment. And about 18% of us think it's the right thing to do for stock. And then 5%, as they become aware and are more educated uh, around this, will make that change as well. So it's, it's a mix of things, but but the motivation is dominated by saving money.
0: And we've found that in our conversations with people with our Store Naturally business, that when you start talking to people about what they throw out and put a dollar figure beside each item that they've thrown out, they're actually quite alarmed at how much it is costing them and, and with their food waste of what they're actually throwing out. And, and sort of you can see the, the light bulb moment <laughs> when people go, oh my goodness, I didn't realise I was throwing so much out that it was costing me so much money and what I could do with that money
2: yeah and it's it's really good to um, to see that um, you know we were talking about freezers earlier, so sixty one percent of households in Australia usually freeze surplus food to extend its shelf life, which is fantastic. so we can see that as a as a really useful behavior and it's already been practiced by a growing number of households.
0: Well, there's certainly lots for people to think about and uh, as I said, we will put some of the information that you spoke about in our show notes but we really want to thank you so much for yeah, giving us a lot of food for thought, pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> but the statistics and data around it are quite staggering and while Australia may be better than some countries, um, we've still got a long way to go in terms of food waste and in all, all aspects and I know with my agricultural background... There's there's lots of talk about doubling food production to feed the world, and uh, if we look at actually halving the food waste, we would we wouldn't need to double production. So I think if we really address food waste, um, we can feed so many people throughout the world that that don't have the advantages that we have.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and the, the numbers are you know we're in a we're in a perfect storm moment at the moment. We're going to need 50% more food by 2030. Now, we're also going to need 30% more water and 30% more energy. And it's that, that kind of nexus of those three key things that really pose a challenge, particularly in the context of rising population, growing middle class, climate risk, pandemic risk now, to add to that, and mass urbanization. Uh, you know, by 2050, two thirds of us will be living in cities. So we're suddenly concentrating food demand in a way that's not been seen in history. Well, all of these things are going to be really interesting to try and work a way around and to find solutions for and every
0: single person has a part to play and yeah we hope hope we can start making a bit more of a difference so thank you very much for your time today we really appreciate it we know how busy you are and what the and the work you're doing is absolutely fantastic so we look forward to to hearing more results from that project that we talked about but also many projects that The Fight Food Waste CRC is involved with. It's a a really great thing that's happening in Australia and across the world at the moment. So thanks very much, Mark. We really appreciate it. Uh,
2: Thank you, Wendy. Thank you.
1: If you've enjoyed this conversation and know people who'd be interested in knowing more about this topic, then show them you care and send them the link to this podcast keep up with our gutsy matters conversations subscribe and share with your friends
0: for extras follow stored naturally on facebook and instagram
1: gutsy matters podcast is brought to you by stored naturally
0: we are the creators of the all-natural hemp fresh produce enhancer for longer lasting and healthier fresh food kept in the fridge available at storednaturally.com.